two of our Coffee Mug Christianity series. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking but pretty well-known passages of Scripture, uh, passages that often appear in lots of different places, and they just kind of get thrown up and uh, on, you know, like it would fit on a coffee mug, and you'd look at it and you'd go, oh, that's really great, and it makes you feel good and warm and fuzzy, but sometimes we miss what is actually being said in, in the passage, right? So um, when, when I was in Bible college, they, they told us this over and over in, uh, 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 in our uh, hermeneutics class. They said, uh, context is king. So whenever you read a passage of Scripture, you always have to read what's above it and what's below it to make sure you understand the context of where that verse is, is happening, what's going on in that story so that you can better understand what's being said. And a lot of times what happens is people cherry-pick verses out of the Bible and try to apply them to their lives or uh, share them with somebody else. So maybe you've been in one of those positions where something terrible has happened in your life and some well-meaning person comes up to you and, and says this, well, listen, um, God won't give you more than you can handle. Bull crap is the answer to that. Like, that is just, that's not true, okay? That's a verse that's completely taken out of context. It's talking about being tempted and, and being given the grace to stand up to that temptation through the Spirit of God that works in you. It has nothing to do with the problems that we face in life. And so sometimes what happens, so our, our son Trent was diagnosed with autism, and we got all kinds of cards and letters from people, and people show up at church and go, oh, uh, like God only gives special children to special parents. Well, if that's the God uh, in heaven, and he's looking around for special parents to give special children to, like, I'm not interested in serving that God. Like, that sounds like a not very nice God. So we want to look at things and put them into perspective and um, really pay attention to what's going on so we understand Scripture and we rightly apply it to our lives. So last week, or two weeks ago, we kicked off the series with um, For God so love the world. Remember we talked about what so means? Um, and so today we're going to look at a, another verse, but I'm not going to give it to you uh, yet. Many years ago, my wife Andy and I experienced one of the most dramatic examples of grace that we have ever experienced in our entire lives. In fact, it was so powerful. It was such a powerful moment for us that um, after 25 years we still get excited when we talk about it. It was just one of those moments, right? In fact, when I brought it up to Andrea the other day as I was working on the message, she immediately was like, oh yes, she knew exactly what I was talking about and we kind of shared that moment again. So our oldest son was one or two at the time. He was our only child. And we were flying back from Oregon. So I'm from Oregon. We had been out there like, Okay, I need to probably preface that. I'm from Oregon before everybody from California moved there. So I'm from Oregon back when it was like good to be from Oregon. And so anyway, I got out just in time. So we had gone back to see some of my family and we uh, were flying back here to Kansas, back from Oregon. And I don't remember like how we scraped the money together to fly 
Um, maybe it was because we like, didn't have a reliable enough vehicle to drive all that way. Maybe it was because it was just like we only had to buy two seats instead of six seats or, or whatever on the, on the plane. I, I don't know what it was, but anyway, it was one of the few times that we flew out there and flew back. Well, on the last leg of our return flight, we were late getting to the gate. So our first flight was late getting getting in. And, and I remember, like we, we knew, like, you know, they'd come on the loudspeaker and they're like, hey, we're going to be late getting in. And so if you have a connecting flight, you need to be prepared. And you know, you're listening, like if you've ever flown, they, they will tell you, like they look through the passenger manifest and they're like, okay, you dummies that are going here, <laughs> you're going to have to run to the other side of the airport to get to your gate and, and you're late, right? Like you've got to hurry. And so that was us. Like we're waiting. We're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? So we get out of the seats. We get off the jetway and we're right. Like I have Trevor. Andrea has the diaper bag. We are running as fast as we can through the airport. Remember, we're 22 at the time, not 49. So we're 22. We're running as fast as we can through the airport. And we get to the gate just as they're getting ready to shut the door. And we're like, wait, wait. We're supposed to be on this plane. And the lady at the counter, she says, I'm sorry, but all of the seats are full. Like we filled all of coach. And we're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And she says, you know what? I'm going to put you in first class. Now... <laughs> If you ever have the chance to, uh, let me say it this way. If you are a coach person and you ever have the chance to ride first class, to fly first class, do not take it. Because it will forever ruin coach for you. You will never be able to go back to coach. And so every time that we have flown since then, 25, 26 years ago, every time we have flown, we get on the plane and we go, oh. Remember when we got to ride first class that one few hours? Trevor was able to sleep and play on the floor in front of us, and we could put our chairs back, and there was enough room. It was like being at the spa. It was fantastic. It was just, it was just incredible, and we will never, never forget it. Well, today, many Christians believe that since Jesus already paid the price for their sin, that they get a free pass, first-class pass, to the Christian life. And so they feel like they can slow walk their discipleship. They can sin without sorrow. They can, they can, they can, okay, I'm going to put some stuff up on the screen here. They can, oh yeah, they can take God's grace for granted. You ever, you ever done that before? Take God's grace for granted? Or, or maybe extort grace to cover your sin? This is how that works. You do so, you sin, and then you go. But God, your son died for my sin. Like you're obligated to take care. You're obligated to take care of my sin. Remember, it's forgiven. Or they test the limits of God's grace by sinning. Now, how much grace does God have? Well, I'm going to find out. And so I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I'm going to sin in every way I possibly can because God's grace through His Son covers me, and I'm okay. I, li I like what the website Art of Homage wrote in the copy about this very shirt that I'm uh, wearing. If you go to the website, you buy the shirt, you'll read this. Every weekend, churches fill up with people professing Christ 
but then spend all week pursuing other things. This stuff. And so we come to church and we're excited about being in church and we're happy about being in church. Um, but then we, we go throughout the week and we pursue all kinds of other things. And so we extort the grace of, of God or, or we test the limits of God's grace or we just simply take God's grace for granted. Like we don't even pay attention to it. When we expect first class treatment from God, but we give him coach effort, we're abusing the grace of God and we're cheapening the cross of Christ. So here's our bottom line today. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Now, I didn't come up with that clever um, saying. Dallas Willard is the guy who originally said that. But if you haven't guessed it, we're going to be talking about the grace of God today. And it's not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Let's take a minute out to pray. God, I thank you for just loving us. And um, man, just I, I, I thank you today for your grace. It is true that without your grace, none of us would be here. You, you would have um, rolled up that scroll and thrown it into the fire a long time ago. And so God, we just come before you now recognizing that that, man, that we've blown it, we've messed up, we've lied, we've sinned, we've, we've done everything, everything that you said not to do, like we've done. And so we just come to you going, like, God, there's absolutely no reason for you to love us, for you to care for us, for you to bless us, for you to give us any good thing, and yet consistently, that's what you do. And, and so we come to you each day going, God, how can you be so good when I have blown it so bad? And God, it, we're just reminded of our adoption, that through Jesus, we're part of your family. And even though we mess up, you love us and, and you lead us into better places. As, as Psalm 23 says, you lead us into green pastures, places where it's comfortable and there's peace and there's, and there's hope and there's plenty. And so, God, today we, we come just as empty vessels. We're just here. Would you fill us up this morning through your presence? Would you speak what we need to hear? Would we have ears to hear? Would we have eyes to see? Would we have hearts that are open to receive it today? And we ask that and thank you for your presence with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to be looking today at probably the most well-known passage about grace uh, ever, Passages that you've probably seen on coffee mugs and on Pinterest and on Facebook and every place else. I've never seen anybody um, hold up a sign at a football game with this passage on it, uh, like John 3.16. But we do see it, certainly in, in church circles, we see it all over the place. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that nobody can boast. Now, there are two things that we should come away with from this passage. The first one is that grace does the grunt work. That's the first thing you need to know today. Grace does the grunt work. And the second thing you need to know is that good deeds get you diddly. In the economy of God, good deeds 
get you diddly. And that's the one we're going to look at first. See, see, it doesn't matter how many shirts that you take off and give to somebody else. There is nothing that you can do to force God to welcome you into his family. Now, I, I say that because, so I'm a preacher and I get invited to do um, funerals uh, often. I've done a whole bunch in, in my lifetime. And um, I, so I pay attention when I get asked to do a funeral for somebody that I don't know. And often what happens is when I walk into the meet the family and talk about the deceased, I, I listen for clues. And so if the first thing that comes out of their mouth is this individual would have given the shirt off his back to anybody. When they say that, I immediately, like just a little red flag goes up. This person was probably not a believer. And so what I'm getting is a whole lot of good deeds being thrown at me to, to show me or to prove to me how good this person was. Um, and, and many times, not all the time, but many times, um, we're just trying to cover things up, right? Because when somebody passes, we only talk about the good stuff. And, and so we get that, right? And so it just, it doesn't matter how many shirts you take off and give to other people. There's nothing that you can do to force God to welcome you into his family. You will not see Jesus and be able to say, I gave water to the thirsty, I fed the hungry, I clothed the naked, I cast out demons, you owe me. You'll never be able to say that to Jesus. There is nothing that we can do in this life that gets us to heaven where we say, you have to let me in because of this stuff that I've done. His response will be, if we come at him like that, his response is going to be, depart from me, I never knew you. And none of us want that, right? We all want to get to heaven and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. But, but when we treat God's grace with contempt, when we, when we focus on our good deeds and we think that should be enough to get us to heaven, it will not work. And Jesus is going to say, look, I, I don't know, like none of that stuff that you did, you did for me, with me, in me. <laughs> and so it doesn't get you anything. Look, you can't not earn your way into eternity. You can't do it. There is nothing you can do that will force God to let you in. See, a, a work... Ephesians 2 says uh, that we're not given salvation by works. And a work earns you something. When you work, your boss owes you a paycheck, right? Because we wouldn't go to work if we didn't get that. Like most of us would go, uh, there are so many problems with my work, my job. i got to put up with you and, and whoever and my coworkers and management stinks and all that stuff. And, and so I, if, if they just said one day when you went in, look, we're not going to pay you anymore, most of us, maybe not all of us, there are probably a few oddballs out there, but most of us would go, I'm not showing up. Like, you're not going to pay me. I'm not coming in. But there is nothing that you can do to earn or that is equal to what you get from God. Your greatest effort, your best work, your fastest time. Isaiah says it's all like filthy rags. And so if you're trusting what you've done to get you through the door, 
you're not going to make it. If you're relying on the things that you've done, your good deeds, they're not going to get you diddly. When, you get to, when, when Jesus comes back, it's, it's not going to be like, oh, you did so many great things, come on in. Now that's what Paul means when he says salvation doesn't come through work that you have done. If it did, right? If we could do some magical thing, we could do the right thing, we could help enough old ladies across the street, then we could boast about how good we are, how sinless we are. You could be, you could be proud, right, of, of never taking a drop of alcohol, of, of never having a puff of a cigarette, of never having a, a lustful thought, of never having gossiped about someone, or, or you never stopped after you said, oh, bless his heart. But we never stop with bless his heart, right? We always go, bless his heart. He's such a, <laughs> he can't ever, like we never stop with that. Like we're never blessing their heart. We really are just using that as a reason to tell all the bad things that we don't like about them. In God's eternal economy, good deeds don't get you diddly. In God's economy, it's completely different. In God's economy, grace does the grunt work. And for many followers of Jesus, grace is something that we take for granted. There's always more grace than sin, right? So when I sin, God just pours out a little more grace and then I'm all good. Or like instead of resisting temptation, right, we, we give into it and, and then we're like, God, you said there'd be more grace, right? Like, I, I know I just did this, and, and I know I shouldn't have done this, but you said there'd be more grace. Perhaps you've heard some, um, some Christians say something like this. Well, Jesus already paid for my sin, past, present, um, future. So, um, so what's to stop me from doing what I want, from committing this sin, from saying this hurtful thing. Now, even if we don't verbalize that, even if we never say that out loud, because, come on, that just sounds kind of bad, right? Like we're going, yes, I know Jesus went to the cross. I know he gave his body. I know he shed his blood. Um, but I really can do whatever I want because I'm covered, at least. I'm, I'm good. That, 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 that mentality is like, um, I'm going to sell my father-in-law out a little bit. My father-in-law used to complain uh, about his dad, and, and he would say his dad fixed everything with um, duct tape and bailing wire, right? And, and so, but that thing that he fixed with duct tape and bailing wire probably one day was going to be his. <laughs> and so dad, grandpa was like, well, I don't care. Uh, you got to fix it, right? It's going to last as long as I need it to. It can break down when, when, you, when you have it. And so that's kind of what we're, we're saying. We're going, well, God, you know, I can do whatever I want to. You're going to have to deal with it. And, and, and most of us wouldn't ever say that out loud, but we live like it. We continue to do the things that we want to do, and we don't pay attention to the effects of, of that or to, to the future of what's going to happen down the road. We just do it, and we go, well, God's going to take care of it. Jesus paid for it. We're constantly testing the limits of God's grace to see if there's just a little bit more. But when we minimize grace to nothing more than, than my personal sin management, 
We minimize its power and its product in our lives. See, for most of us, that's what grace is. We don't think about it beyond our own personal sin management. Grace covers my sin. So I can do what I want, and God's just going to give me more grace. But we minimize the power of grace and how it works in our lives and the product that it produces through us if we say grace is only dealing with sin. So look, if you don't understand the work of grace in your life, what God is doing through that grace in your life, then you'll miss the work of grace that happens through your life in response to other people. What God wants to do through your life by grace makes the life of faith so much more exciting. When we live in this grace, and when it's not just relegated to sin management, but we live in the power of the grace of God, all kinds of things open up to us every day. How we deal with people, the people that come into our lives, the things that happen, these are all manifestations of God's grace to bring us to look more like his son Jesus or to share the hope that we have with somebody else. And so God's grace is always working in our lives to bring people across our path, to put us in a place where we can say the right thing, where we can do the right thing, to bring somebody else closer to Jesus. Paul says that salvation comes by grace. Personal salvation comes by grace. And so then we have to go, okay, Well, then what is this grace that works in our lives and through our lives to accomplish the things of God um, in the world around us? Well, I think the first thing that, that we need to know about grace is that grace initiates. Grace initiates the powerful things that are happening in our lives. Our relationship with God through Jesus is initiated through grace. So 1 John Chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So God took the first step. He bridged the gap through his own son, through his flesh and blood. He did for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. He gave his son for our sin. He initiated the relationship by doing all the work. Right? He sent the king to die and then conquer death in order to make a way for us to be a part of his kingdom, knowing that we could never earn a spot at the table ourselves. And so grace initiates our relationship to God through his son, Jesus, by doing all of, of the work, paying all of the debt, doing everything that needs to be done so that we could come to him without the baggage and the hangups and the habits and the hurt of our past. In fact, Jesus said, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. So God is continually attempting to initiate relationship with you and with everybody else that we come in contact with. God is constantly drawing people to his Son. And sometimes we get to be a part of that through this work of grace in our lives as we share with a friend or we invite somebody to church or we sit down for coffee with them and talk about what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes he lets us be a part of that with him. But he is constantly drawing all men to himself. Through his grace, 
God overlooks our sin in order to call us a son or daughter. And that's incredible. That's amazing that God initiates that work through Jesus to bring us into his family. And, and once we respond by repenting and believing and following, God's grace empowers us to look more like Jesus every day. And so grace initiates our relationship with God through Jesus, and then it empowers us through Jesus to do the things that God has called us to do, the good works that God has called us to do. Paul said that we were created for those good works, which God prepared in advance for each of us to accomplish. So God had this all set up from the very beginning through his grace. Now, God works, or good works, are God works. And God works good for everybody. So God is constantly working in our lives to, to give us good works to do and to provide good for us. Now, now, get this. Jesus said, there is no one good except God alone. That was Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. I think we actually talked about that a few weeks ago. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus calls him good teacher, and Jesus said, look, there's no one good except God. And then Paul comes along in Romans chapter 3, and he says that there is no one who does good. So the good works God created us to do are actually God works. They are works of grace that God accomplishes through us. And so grace empowers us to do things that we wouldn't naturally do on our own. When Peter wrote his first letter to the non-Jewish followers of Jesus, they were facing significant persecution in their lives, right? Rome had begun persecuting Christians. The church in Jerusalem had been scattered and it even gotten to the point where the church, the Christians, these young Christians were beginning to, to lose steam in their faith when it came to being obedient. And in fact, it went even beyond that. Um, these people were actually being shamed for doing the right thing. Think about that for a second. Can, can you think of a situation in our life where a Christian might be shamed for doing the right thing? for standing up for the right thing, for fighting for justice, right? We kind of live in a world where that's rapidly becoming the case, that as believers in Jesus, when we do the right thing, we're being shamed for that. Peter wrote about handling suffering with hope and living godly lives even when it's difficult. And at the end of his letter, his first letter, he said that what he had written about, how to handle persecution and, and how to be obedient and how to continue in hope, that what he'd written about is the true grace of God. The true grace of God. How to live our lives under persecution, in the midst of struggle and difficulty and, and trial and, and the magnifying glass of the world around us, how we live our lives through the grace of God. That's true grace, Peter says. And if there's true grace, there must have been also false grace or what we might call ungrace circulating. 
And so when we think about true grace and we think about ungrace, here's what I want you to know. Grace that is limited to conversion. It's all about sin management. Don't worry about it. God took care of it. God paid for your sin through the blood of his son Jesus, and so you're, you're good to go. Like, here's your pass. Uh, don't go to jail. Like, skip go. Collect $200. Like, all that, all that stuff. If we limit God's grace to only a conversation about our conversion, that's ungrace. Grace is so much bigger. When we talk about grace as being passive about discipleship, and, and what I mean is we say, well, I can become a Christian, but if I want to grow anymore in my relationship to God, if I want to serve other people, if I want to share my faith, well, then that's the step that, you know, the type A Christian person takes. And that's really not me. So if we, if we get passive about following Jesus or about looking more like Jesus, that's ungrace. Because we're saying, well, being a disciple is optional, but it's not in Scripture. It's not an, it's, we're not told in the Bible that, look, there's two levels. You can believe in Jesus and, and, and be saved and have the hope of heaven, and then that's it. And you never have to go back to church. You never have to do anything. You never have to give. You never have to serve. You don't have to, you have to change your life at all. You just have to make this decision, and then you're good. But Jesus called people to discipleship. He called them to a relationship that would change their lives, that would transform the way that they lived so that they looked more like Jesus every day. And so when we're passive about discipleship, we're talking about ungrace, not true grace. When we consider grace a reason to be lenient in regards to our sin, that's ungrace. That's not real grace. When we go, it, look, it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. Like we, we get this idea, and, and it's come about through the church. Like it's, it's our fault, right? Because we haven't talked about grace in the right way. We haven't talked about discipleship in the right way. And so we get to this place where somebody goes, look, I blew it. I messed up. I did these horrible things. And we go, I don't worry about it. Because the grace of God, he's covered you. It's, it's okay. You're good. Instead of recognizing that in Scripture, when there's sin, when there's a breach, there's supposed to be repentance, right? There's supposed to be restitution. There's supposed to be um, a reconciling that needs to take place so that we begin to follow God again, so that we can get that stuff out and we begin to follow again in that right relationship. And so when God withheld his discipline from a nation, it was because the king repented. And often what you find is it says that he, Hezekiah repented in sackcloth and ashes. Oh, yeah, that just doesn't sound very good. But when you understand what that means, it's even worse. It means that they took off their clothes and they put on sackcloth. You ever dressed in a gunny sack? That's what it is. It is itchy, awful, nasty, horrible stuff. It's like wearing that old-time 70s wool right next to your skin. Nobody wants to do that, right? They don't, in fact, you, you don't buy stuff like that anymore. If you get wool socks, they are lined with things so that you don't have to feel it against your skin. Well, at least for those of us who are a little more sensitive in our feet area than the rest of you. And so, um, so look, sackcloth is like burlap. It's gross. It's awful. It's itchy. It's irritating. It causes your skin to break out. And they wouldn't just put this sackcloth in uh, on their heads. They would sit down in a public place and they would pour ash 
and dirt and dust on their head and over their body. It was not a pleasant sight. That's the way that people repented in the Old Testament. How do we repent? <laughs> Sorry. When we know full well, we're probably going to do it again. When my kids were going, growing up and, and they came to me and, you know, one of them said, hey, so-and-so did this to me and, blah, 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 and they're fighting. You know how kids do that. Look, she did this or he said that or whatever. And what do we as parents do? We say, tell him you're sorry. And what do the kids do? Sorry. And then they go off. So, so here's what I, I did. I don't know if it did any good or not. Um, but here's what I decided to do. I would say, tell him you're sorry, but recognize that if you do it again, you're not sorry. See, sorry only means something if we then work to not do the thing again that we're sorry about. And so when we talk about being lenient in regards to sin, when we talk about going, oh, all you got to do is just go, oh, sorry, God, but then you can do it, turn around tomorrow and do the very same thing, that's ungrace. That's not what we're talking about. So grace initiates and grace empowers. And in, in contrast, in contrast to um, the ungrace, the limited to conversion, grace that's passive, grace that's lenient, there are some things that grace, uh, uh, some ways that grace empowers us. So some things about true grace that we need to understand. And the first one is that true grace is expansive. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So how much grace do you think Jesus had? I think he probably had all of it. Right? Jesus is God. Like he's God in the flesh. And so when, 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 uh, when Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ, he's saying be strong in all of the grace because that's what Jesus had. He had all of it. Jesus said then that he only did what he saw the Father doing, which is called what? Good works. And our strength comes from the grace that was in Jesus. So we will never face anything that God's grace in Jesus can't overcome. We will never face a situation in our lives where we can't do the right thing and trust in the grace of God to help us do that. Grace is expansive. It works in every part of our life, and it's complete. It's total. It never comes to an end. There's always more grace to do the things that God has called us to do. God's grace empowers us because it's expansive. The second thing that um, God's, uh, the second way God grace empowers us, or, or the second thing about God's grace, is that it's active. Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God has appeared and it offers salvation to all people. To all people. 
You don't have to be a, a Jewish person. Melody talked about that in the communion talk. You don't have to have your life figured out. You don't have to have done everything right in your life. You don't have to have a perfect past. You can have a rap sheet. And you can struggle with addiction. And you can have a divorce. And, and you, could, you could have gotten an abortion. I mean, there's all kinds of things in our lives that we do. And God's grace is active in all of that and offers salvation to all people regardless of their past. Now, it's not that we treat that lightly, right? It's not that we go, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. But we go, God's grace is good enough to overcome those things. And so God's grace is active and it's working all the time in order to lead every person to Jesus through the good works of Jesus' people. That's you and me. The things that we do. So God's grace is active in us so that it can be active through us to bring other people to him. So God's grace empowers us because it's expansive and it's active. And thirdly, because it's obedient. In Romans chapter 1 verses 5 and 6, Paul writes that through Jesus, he had received grace and a good work. He calls that good work apostleship. It's a, and, and, he, and he receives this good work to call all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Okay, we're saved by grace through what? Faith. And Paul here says that he's going to call all Gentiles to obedience, the obedience that comes from faith. So faith in our lives, trust in God in our lives generates what? Obedience. Faithful people are obedient people. He goes on to say that you also, he's talking about us, you also are among those Gentiles, people who are not Jewish people, who are called to belong to Jesus. So we are called to obedience because of the faith that we have in Jesus as we receive grace to do what God created us to do just like Paul did in his apostleship, right? And so God works through our obedience that comes from faith to bring about good works that brings grace to all people through us and in us. So grace initiates our relationship with God through Jesus. Then it empowers us to look more like Jesus every day. And finally, grace blesses us in amazing ways, the things that we couldn't get on our own. Ephesians 1 3 through 14 gives us a list of the ways that God blesses us with every spiritual blessing, he says. And I won't read the verse. I'll let you go and, and look at that later. But, but it, it says this, um, God's grace chose you, loved you, predestined you, adopted you, redeemed you, forgave you, knows you. God's grace sealed you by the Holy Spirit, and God's grace gave you an inheritance, Look, grace is never an excuse for disobedience. It's only and ever God's power for obedience. Only in ungrace do we talk about, do we talk about being able to be disobedient to God on purpose. But how often do we use God's amazing grace as an excuse to sin? Look, we can't earn grace but it supernaturally empowers us to live differently. And it doesn't mean that we'll be sinless, that we'll do everything perfect and we'll never sin again. We know 
that that is not impossible for us. But we can strive to look more like Jesus than we did yesterday. So with this understanding of grace, we see that while God is at work, I'm at work. It's God's sovereignty and my responsibility. I'm working out my salvation, but then God is working within my salvation. And so true grace puts the focus on other people. God's grace working through me to accomplish what he wants in the world. Ungrace puts the focus on me. It's my sin. It's my salvation. It's my relationship with Jesus. So instead of testing the limits of God's grace for yourself, I want to challenge you to let it transform you into the image of his son who came to serve and not to be served. So, what have we uh, learned? How can what you have learned today affect how you live tomorrow? Let me give you some ideas. Instead of using grace as an excuse to sin, you can let it empower you to look more like Jesus. So when you don't want to do something that God has laid in front of you, like maybe um, help a neighbor when you just got off work and you're tired and you don't want to be there, or maybe even just talking to a neighbor that you don't really like that well, or helping someone in, in need that you see somewhere, or maybe just serving your spouse in some way, or praying for a coworker for a few moments. When you don't want to do it, Whatever it is, whatever God brings in your path, when you don't want to do it, rely on God's grace to give you the strength and then move forward in it. All right? So when you recognize those things that God puts in your path, step into them in grace. If you never rely on the grace of God, then you'll never realize your full potential in Jesus. Because that's how God accomplishes the things that he wants to accomplish in our world. Is when we respond in grace, when we let it empower us to accomplish the works that God has set it out to do. Look, you can't earn your way to heaven. Good deeds won't get you diddly. But that doesn't mean that you should stop working out your salvation. Because God will empower you to look more like Jesus through the strength of his spirit, which works powerfully in you. When you realize that true grace is not about sin management, it's about sanctifying empowerment. God's grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And there is a huge, huge difference. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and I thank you for your incredible grace that not only calls us to relationship with your son Jesus and, and through that relationship saves us for eternity but then empowers us to look more like your son Jesus every day to live and to love others like Jesus did and then God we receive all of the blessings that come from grace we get to be a part of your family. We get to experience things that we never would have. And, and yes, it costs us. We need to be disciples of yours. We need to strive to look more like you. But then you promise to give us the grace to do that. And so, God, we're reminded once again 
that it all comes from you. It's all for you. And you've called us just to be a part of that as you empower us to look more like Jesus. And so we thank you, God, for that. And I pray this week that we would have the grace to do the things that you lay in front of us to do, to talk to that stranger, to help that person, to give to that need. And that, God, you'll make every spiritual blessing abound to us when we do. Thank you, God, for your grace in Jesus. In his name, amen. Hey, two things before I let you go. Number one, next week, we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, that's a huge coffee mug verse right now. You, you probably have seen it a whole bunch of times. Um, it's God's promise to the people of Israel. And uh, uh, you're not going to want to miss that as we dive into Jeremiah 29, 11. And the week after that, go to the next slide, Julie, is Happy Mother's Day. So, um, uh Wait, that's not true. I said the week after that. No, the week after this, this coming Sunday, May 9th is Mother's Day. So guys, you have um, six days to get that taken care of. So we'll have some special things here for mom um, next Sunday. So I hope that you uh, bring mom, come with mom, uh, join us, whether in person or online. And we'll be looking at Jeremiah 29, 11. Thanks for being here. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.